Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher. So you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. Your host, founder and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Pino. Today I have with me a familiar voice. We had our first podcast session and it went really, really good. A lot of great feedback. So why not have her back? None other than Heather Glogalich. Not ick. Itch. Yes. Street Cop instructor. She has given her bio before. But for the people who didn't listen to the last episode, give a 30-second bio of who you are. Sure. A uh, police lieutenant in a municipality up in Morris County, Morris Township, actually. And I've been a cop for 18 years. I'll be with Morris Township actually in August for 17 years there. Police lieutenant, I've held the position of detective sergeant, uh, school resource officer, traffic officer, sergeant, and uh, now patrol lieutenant. Working the road, 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. Do you go on the road and service calls too? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Are you supposed to? I mean, I don't know if supposed to is the right word. I mean, there's there's calls we're required to go on as supervisors, but I still like- Is there a sergeant cop. on the road too? Yeah, so there's a sergeant lieutenant that is assigned to every single squad and one has to be working at every time. Okay. Yeah. So you're actually on the road answering calls and stuff like that? Mm, not really answering calls. I'll take calls from my guys though. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I yeah, it's wanna, good. I don't want to lose touch, you know? I, like I get it. Cop. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally get it. That was yeah. actually- a lot of people's hangups of taking a promotion are the fact that they don't get to do what they love. Yeah. So people will not take promotions, even when the administration or the police agency will be basically begging them to take a promotion. It's interesting, a lot of transfer of assignments, people get this vision in their head of this amazing experience to go to detective bureau or this division or that division. And some people find out that it's great, it's exactly what they wanted. And some other people find out that it is completely contrary to what they want to be doing with their life. Yeah. Uh, I learned that in two days when I got moved to narcotics for 90 days. And I was like, oh, oh, I just made a big mistake. Like, fuck this place. Yeah. Right? Like, they just didn't want to. Again, I was friends with everybody. But for me personally, I was like, oh, this is not good. I had never been in the detective bureau until I got promoted to sergeant. And then I was lucky enough to be placed in as detective sergeant. And... I loved it, but I didn't sleep for a whole year. Cause I'm one of those people where I'm like, if I'm in, I'm all in. And I felt like I wanted to be there for my guys and I wanted to learn as much as possible so I could help them. And I don't like when things aren't finished. I like things to be done. Mm -hmm. And so it, it bothered me that there were like open cases on my desk that I couldn't solve. It was something I really had to learn to be okay with. But yeah, it was just, I don't think it suited me as well as being on patrol. I really like being a patrol lieutenant. Yeah, me too. I mean, I just enjoy, I always tell people don't, when you're new, start getting this vision of not being in patrol. You probably know there's agencies that getting out of patrol is the number one goal. Yeah, We don't have to take a guess which one this is in New Jersey, but every person who's listening from that agency will laugh because everybody knows that your number one goal as that kind of police officer is to get into a specialty division as fast as possible. And that agency has a lot of specialty divisions. But you know, people really get this idea in their mind that, Police work has to be a canine unit. Police work has to be narcotics. Police work has to be traffic division. The reality is you can have a lot of fun. And I actually enjoyed, I, I didn't mind eating the shit sandwich at times so I could have the other cool shit that came along with patrol, like the car chases yeah, and the fight calls and the chaos and the, like I like the immediate rescues of some serious significant, yeah. like I, when, if I was going to work during like a hurricane, I was pumped. Yeah. Pumped. Like, I'm like, yo, I'm gonna be fucking tying ropes around my waist, wading through water. This is my jam. I remember I came in with these boots one time. The lieutenant was like, what the fuck are you wearing? And I'm like, these are my rain boots, my like work rain boots. They were huge. They were like fucking fisherman boots. And I'm like, but I will be the only person here who will have dry feet today. I promise you that. He's like, yeah. you know, and I literally was like wobbling down the hall with these things on, almost like dragging my feet. But I was enthusiastic. And I always like to be prepared. So 
What are we talking about today besides this bullshit? <laughs> I think we were going to talk about what it takes to be a female street cop. Okay. What's what did, in your mind, what's the definition of a female street cop? What's, what's funny is I was actually talking to Frankie right before this. I was like, it's the exact same thing as what it takes to be a male street cop. I thought about this weekend, the women in law enforcement event that you had and how I spoke and how some people found it to be offensive. Um, I find that very interesting because I think you've addressed this as well. If we're all going to be in the same boat, why can't you handle the same thing? And I didn't go in there and say crazy stuff. I talked and treated equally. I felt like, Hey, this is what we do. If you're not this, then what are you? And, and light humor, nothing crazy that in this woke society, some people found it offensive. Some people really found it attractive. I don't mean the sense that they wanted to do things to me. Right. I meant like that there were people that didn't know who I was that came up and wanted our information right. after that, which I was happy about. And I don't know if there's any pleasing that half of people who like to, I like to consider live in la la land of everything's just fucking rainbows and unicorns. And that's just not police work. That's nothing, it, dude. It's police work. What we do is rainbows and butterflies. I mean, like, listen, there's the the recognition of saving a life, but you know, I tell people all the time, if you wanted something like instant gratification, or if you wanted to always be liked, then you should just become a fireman because being a police officer, we're going to people's worst moments, no matter what they're like for somebody to call nine one one and ask for a cop to show up. That's a significant moment. And I think as police officers, we get so complacent with the things that we're responding to. And we're like, this is not a big deal because we've dealt with it. That's we take for granted that people it's really important when people call us, but they're not always going to like the decision that we make for them because they're calling us to come in and make a decision they don't want to make. Or, you know, we talk about being a proactive cop. You can be proactive, but everything we do is reactive because we're reacting to some, how someone reacts to us when we pull them over or, you know, a motor vehicle violation that we pull over, we're reacting to them. And then while we have to maintain control of that car stop, we're still reacting to how they react, right. Or how they act in a certain situation. So as proactive as you want to be, everything is about reactions. I think that's like on the back of one of your shirts, right? Reactions, 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 reactions. Yeah. yeah. It might actually be this one. Frankie, is it this one? It is, it is that oh my one. Goodness. That's there fucking funny. Yeah. That is funny. Let's define, if you're saying the female street cop and the male street cop are the same person, in your mind, and who are we to even begin to unwrap what that means, but define that. I think it's going to be different for everybody. And that's what it comes down to. So many people have asked me, why are you doing a separate course for females? And really it comes down to us having individualized issues, right? Pregnancy, maternity leave, right. just, just a way of feeling like you can fit in, even though this has been a male dominated career forever. And you've got male cops that don't want to pull over cars. You have male cops that just want to be community policing officers. So really when we talk about being a street cop, it's somebody who goes out there you learn your job, you learn your craft, you do the best you can. And you go out there and you try to save lives or make a difference in the time that we have. And everybody's like 30 years is a long time, but as I creep up on the end of my career, and I'm not doing 30, I plan on doing 20. As I creep up on the end of my career, I feel like it's gone so fast, right? My friend Deanna just retired last week. It was her, her last day and she did 25. And I was like, you're literally getting a divorce right now. That's what's happening. You're just, you're walking away from it and you're getting a divorce. And when you look back on your career, like, what did you do? What were your goals? What did you start out wanting to do as part of being a cop? And if it turns into you just showing up and getting a paycheck and collecting your pension, then I don't know if you're really in it for the right reasons. There's not, there's nobody's going to motivate you. You're not going to have enough discipline and you're going to give lackluster service to whatever you respond to or whatever you're a part of. So being a, a complete cop is just, you know, knowing your strengths understanding where there's areas that you need improvement, focusing on that. You know, as a business owner, you can understand this. You have to constantly, even when you're not being paid, even though, you know, obviously you're not paid hourly, you have to constantly be creative and thinking about it and understanding how to make it better and, and how to be the best that you can be. And I don't think we do that as cops. I think cops become cops, some of them, not all of them, but they become cops. And then they're like, okay, I've arrived. And they worry about nothing else for the next 25 or 30 years of their career. And they don't make themselves better. And they think it's an inconvenience to get extra training. And they think, why should I have to pay for training? My agency should be paying for training. Well, this is honestly, it's your career. It's not their career. It's your career. You go home every day. You're the one who goes home and takes care of your family. You're the one who has to walk away and hold your head high and know that you did the best you can. 
So when it comes to being the complete cop, I just think it's about going all in. You say being the best we can be, but do you, or what do you say to somebody who may run into administrative brick walls that while they're trying to be the best that they can, they are hindered from being the best they can. What's advice for somebody in that situation? Oh boy, do I have advice for you? Cause that's happened to me multiple times. You know, I have always been somebody who gives absolutely everything until I have things taken from me. Right. But I still show up every day and I'm like, listen, the administration wants this, I will do it. And then I will go out and underneath whatever our rules and regulations and everything are, I'm still going to perform the job the way I want to. You know, there was a time where there was a kid, this, this is, this story just made me really upset. So there was a kid who was in middle school when I was a school resource officer and he didn't come from a great family. He had family members that were already gang members and him and I had connected and I was able to mentor him a little bit and mental health issues, wasn't medicated, probably should have been ran away from the school. I ended up having to tackle him in the field. And let's talk about the layers of that. This kid in front of all his friends gets tackled by a chick cop, right? And he's this, this boy. So there's that. And then he doesn't really have a supportive mother and I end up locking him up and I'm like, no, my responsibility, I'll take him to juvenile court. So I take him to juvenile court because he ended up, you know, getting some juvenile charges. And I walk in and as, and his mom shows up and his little brother, and as they're dismissing and he's still in handcuffs and I know he's not a dangerous kid. I like look at him and I hold on to him. I give him a hug. I'm like, Hey, listen, I'm like, I love you. You know how big I am on that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I love you and everything will be okay, but it has to be your choice if it's going to be okay. Like you have to take ownership of this. And I got pulled in my captain's office the week after and told that the judge was thought that was absolutely inappropriate. And now I knew this judge and I didn't think he would think that was appropriate. And I knew where I was coming from. It was from a place of like, like a motherly, but like a caretaker. Right. And that's what we do. And so I was told I can't, I, I was pulled from like some school resource officer stuff, community stuff. And I was told that I needed to be more careful and all these things. Well, just a year ago, two years ago, I finally sat down with this judge and I was like, listen, can I just talk to you about something that's been bothering me for like a decade? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, this is what I was told that you were bothered. But he's like, absolutely not. He's like, absolutely not. He's like, I was so impressed. He's like, I remember that exact moment. He's like, I was so impressed that a police officer went out of their way to show that they were human and that they cared about him. And I couldn't talk to that kid now ever again, ended up being arrested. He's been on YouTube. He's, you know, tried to beat up cops before multiple DVs. Like he's in a gang and all this stuff. And you look back and you wonder if I had still just kept in touch with him because I knew it was the right thing to do. Would there be a different outcome? And you just keep pushing forward. Administrations change. They do. And there's a way to talk to administrators once you know the way they need to be spoken to. And I don't mean that in a wrong way, but there's everybody has a mission and a purpose, even if it isn't in alignment with your agency. So being able to have a conversation in a way that they're going to be receptive to it. And sometimes you have to learn that this person in charge needs to feel like they're the ones that came up with the idea, or maybe they just need to see a little bit of vulnerability and understand your why behind it. And listen, I can say that from an agency that has about 45 people, give or take on any given day. I'm not talking about an agency where there's a hundred and something people and you'll never get a face to face with a chief, but if you're not happy, leave. Mm -hmm. I like I that mean, one. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. And we hold ourselves back because we're like, all right, now we have seniority or now we're at a certain sunken cost. They're called. Yeah. And how much is it worth? It's called right. a sunken cost. So yeah. I went to college to be a lawyer, so I'm gonna be a lawyer. You don't have to be a lawyer, that's a gift to your former self. I bought this tack vest that matches this uniform, it was 600 bucks. I have Saturdays off now. I'm the sixth most senior guy in a squad of 10. I'm gonna get the best picks next year. Yeah. But what's the cost? Right. And how hard is it to walk away from that? I think that's been a big strength of mine. You know, people might say, Oh, it's easy for you to say, well, well, is it? I mean, I have proven it. I went to three different police academies in four and a half years and they weren't fun ones. Just so to, we're clear, this is not like it's, you know, I travel the country. I see some of these police academies are literally like kindergarten. I'm not even kidding you. They're ridiculous. But I have a question for you. Yeah. How does it feel to live in this world as a big thinker, which I know you are working for and or with small thinkers? <laughs> you know, here's the thing. I think I turned a page a long time ago in my own book to realize that not everyone else is going to be like me and it's okay. And I have to allow people to be happy with where they're at. And I just take my big thoughts and big thinking outside of small minded circles. You know, mm -hmm. I start to surround myself with people who have 
the same mindset, but can help me grow. And I start to try to be around people that are more positive because listen, it's really easy to give into all the negative in this career, 100%, right? Like I said, we're the bad guys most of the time because we're making the decisions most people don't want. But when I try to think bigger, I have to realize that I'm not in control of everything. And while I can bring the idea to the table, it doesn't mean I can necessarily bring it to fruition. So I bring it to other areas of my life. And I just, I realize that this is just a time in my life. It is not my life. Mm-hmm. Right? Police work is, is going to be fleeting. And I have zero thoughts on the fact that I may continue to wear a uniform after I retire. I don't think I could do it. I think once it's off, I'm done. So life is more than just police work but your police work should be a big part of your life if it's what you're dedicating that much time to. It's a balance at all times. I think when you say you're done, I think you mean with this chapter, but I certainly don't think that you're done with your contribution to the world. Matter of fact, I think you'll be a bigger contributor as you go into, what are you, 28 now? What? You're 28 now. You're so sweet. Yes, that that was about right. I'm actually not I think it's 32. (laughs) Um, It's like 32. I stopped counting. Uh, You know, I just, I- I, It's 2012? He's something like that. You're such a jerk. Uh, there's, th- yeah, you're happy about it because you just realized I'm actually older than you. That's, I had no idea. I thought yeah, you're younger than me. That's yeah. a good thing, though. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. But really, when it, I just not to put anybody down, I just I don't think I could go back and be an SRO. I don't like I can't be a SLEO three or, you know, working security for somewhere. I, I think once I'm done with my career in law enforcement, in uniform, in the pension, I think I just want to go bigger. Do you ever feel like? and just hear this one out because it's, it's a good one to unpack. And I think a lot of people are going to find it interesting. Not a lot of people, but some people. Do you feel like you're lonely in this world or do you feel like you're chosen in this world? Oh, I think you can be both and either. Uh. So I don't feel lonely at all ever when I have four kids. So I'm never alone, uh, but lonely and alone are two separate things. Right. And my husband is just so I know I say this all the time, but my husband's so incredible. He's like my biggest cheerleader and no thought is crazy in his mind. And if I'm like, I'm going to do this, he's like, how can I support you? So never ever in my relationship, I ever felt alone because of him or lonely because of him. I felt lonely when I've been at work, but that's changed over the past couple of years. But I also let go of a chip on my shoulder in order to make that happen. And I started to choose the person I wanted to be as a leader without the stripes, without the chevrons, without the butter bars. But as far as being chosen, that's a difficult question to answer because I feel like things have always come very easy to me. And that's hard for me to say because I know things aren't easy for other people. So for me to admit that they came easy for me makes me feel bad for people that have to work a lot harder to to achieve success. But I also give a lot of credit to my parents who brought me up with a mindset of, you don't deserve anything unless you work hard for it. So maybe the way I work hard is easy for me and just makes it easy. Uh, But I don't know if, I think everybody's chosen to do something. It's just really honing in on that and finding what that is and wanting to be a part of it. You kind of answered the next question I had, which was, and you don't have to answer it because I think you already did. What does chosen mean to you? And I'm going to just give my two cents on this without trying to go on a Dennis Benino tangent. I think it means acknowledging the voice in your head that is telling you what to do and not ignoring that. It's a big thing to do. And um, knowing that that choice in your head comes with good and negative consequences as well. So bad and good will come from that voice. And it's it's a scary voice at times. There's no question about it. Uh, trying to unpack and understand what that voice means is I think where real strength is and how to embrace it and apply it properly. Yeah. Before you were talking and I heard you talking about resiliency, what do you think about resiliency? And is it an interesting thing if you start to really unpack what resiliency means? Because I think a lot of us really try to push resiliency, resiliency training, you're gonna be tough enough. But isn't there another side to resiliency where you don't have to constantly be resilient nonstop? And be vulnerable? I don't think resiliency has anything to do with being tough enough, actually. And if that's, the image that's being portrayed by anybody, I feel like they've just got it wrong. Resiliency is the individual's ability to process things that make them, you know, hurt or sad or deal with trauma and still be able to find happiness, 
right? So we as police officers deal with trauma all the time and it both personally and professionally being able to be resilient doesn't mean just being tough to get through it and putting it in a little box and forgetting about it. It's being able to take in what happens, process it the right way. So it doesn't negatively affect your mind, your mindset, your mentality, your emotional well-being, and then still be able to turn around and effectively build relationships and be empathetic and sympathetic and be relatable and be vulnerable. You know, there's such a balance with resiliency because mm-hmm. I think the word is so overused. Now mm-hmm. people are like, I don't want resiliency training. I'm, I'm done with like, you know, all the things that we're doing, but you know, resiliency can just be having a conversation with somebody that you trust at work after a shitty incident went down and just unpacking that stuff. We de- we have a critical debriefing team and the best analogy I've heard was them coming in and saying, listen, you're carrying around a backpack as a police officer. And every time something traumatic or bad happens, you're throwing a rock in that backpack. And every time you don't talk about it, you keep that extra weight with you and it weighs you down in more ways than one that you could maybe not even articulate. So talking about it, even if it isn't talking about it, but just sitting around and dealing with it is unpacking those rocks. It makes it a little easier to deal with the other stuff. But yeah, resiliency can be, I think now everybody's like, I don't even want to hear that word anymore, but it's part of what we have to do. There's too many cops dying from suicide to not talk about it. What about instead of resiliency training, we start focusing maybe on vulnerability training. That's interesting. Or how about like teaching our leaders to do human resource work also, right? On a level of like allowing people to make mistakes. I think as police officers, we are held to this standard. I think you and I have talked about this before, right? Guys are so guys and girls are so scared to make a mistake because they're worried about, Oh, it's going to get put on YouTube or I'm going to get written up or I'm going to get a guardian tracking, or I'm going to have somebody, I'm going to have to have a conversation. Like, remember when you were a kid and you made a mistake and the worst part was your parents in the room with you screaming at you and you didn't know when it was going to end. And you're like, when is this ever going to end? The same thing happens in police work. We still have that mindset that we can yell at our people and make them feel stupid. Like we're humans, we're supposed to be making mistakes. As long as you're not, you know, doing something that's egregious or, you know, there, there's not something ill intent behind it, then I think that allowing people to make mistakes and own it and learn from it is way more valuable. And yeah, vulnerability training, whatever you want to call it, but part of being vulnerable is accepting that people make mistakes and that we're humans and that we should really be here for our people. You can't expect somebody to be resilient and to be a good person and to be a good cop for you if you're making them feel like shit all the time. Mm. You just can't. Earlier you said, started talking about when you started your career, did you meet the goals that you set forth to achieve when you started your career? And I, you said that I go back to, I mean, again, three police academy graduations. Yeah. And you hear this speech, who are you going to be? Well, I feel like, oh my God, does everybody have the same fucking speech at every goddamn police academy graduation? Yeah. You don't want me to do your police academy graduation. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody does. No, no. I get nervous. Well, because the truth hurts. And, you know, literally in my mind with the time, and as I'm trying to get my brain straight again, um, I, I do have a lot of resolution to how to make this better. You probably wouldn't need a graduation speech if, if I ran the police academy in the sense of here's what the program is. You'd probably be prepared by the time you're done to go out and do the job with certainly more, not all the tools, but certainly more than what you're given now. There's no question in my mind because for me, one of the first things I implement into a recruit training program is leadership. I mean, I'm talking about driving leadership. I don't know. Get rid of this stick in the bag, split it in half, put the other two Brazilian jiu-jitsu and the other half to leadership training or so, you know, you look at these programs, you could eliminate so much fluff and nonsense, especially what do they call it? Uh, electives, right? There's times. So like in the police academy, if you look at a calendar of a police academy, typically there is times worked in for elective time, which means we got four hours to kill. We got to find something to stick in here. I would urge all people who are leaders at police academies or decision makers to find interesting stuff on YouTube. I bet you'd get more fucking information and practical use out of four hours of TED Talks showing to recruits. I mean, I watched TED Talks, I watched two of them today. But you've got the best people in the world giving these talks and they've just been such big and passionate thinkers. My third academy, they tried to implement some kind of different perspective. It was a complete fucking miss. I know what they were trying to do now later on, but it was not being done by the right people. It was like perspective. How do you see this flower? Is it ugly? How about from this angle? Is it different? Like, and I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? They never actually attached that thought process to 
practical field work as police officers. But back to this, how do you think we lose sight of our goals? And if you lose sight of your goals, how do you get back to those goals? Yeah. How do you think we lose sight of our goals? Let's start with that one. Oh, easy. You start listening to noise. Yeah. And it, it, it comes to discipline, right? And it comes to really understanding what your goals are. You know, you said before, who, what kind of person do you want to be was asked at your graduation. I had no fucking clue what kind of cop I wanted to be when I graduated the academy. I didn't even know really what a cop did because I had no law enforcement in my entire family background at all. So, you know, what I knew of police officers was what I saw where I grew up in Denville. And they were at the fireworks on July 4th and they were our D.A.R.E. instructors. And, you know, they, they were those people. So I think you have to understand that goals will change. And especially as you grow up, because some things will become important and not important. But I mean, everybody January 1st always writes down what their goal is. I always do it on my birthday. I go year to year from my birthday in order to see what my goals are. And then I reevaluate them after every year. But it's a process, understanding what your goals are and then trying to make them happen. And you have to have realistic goals too, right? You can't just be like, oh, I'm graduating the academy and I'm going to be chief of police someday. Like, that's a great goal. Yeah. But there's a lot of things that are going to get in your way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A whole lot. Oh, yeah. A lot of politics. Somebody just might not leave. Are you going to stay, you know, a patrolman for 20 years and then go back to being like a swing shift you know, sergeant, like there's all these things that could change. So being adaptable, understanding your goals are going to change, defining what your goals are and understanding the steps that's going to take to get there, understanding the sacrifice and self-discipline that it's going to take to get there. And, you know, I think for me, I just relearned how hard reaching some goals would be. You mentioned jujitsu. I just started training jujitsu and it's, nothing like I've ever done because I'm a, I want all the steps. I want to know, I want to learn exactly how I'm going to get to where I need to be. I want to know how a plus B equals C. And that's just not how you learn jujitsu. You just learn jujitsu by like getting your ass kicked basically. And, uh, and then just coming back and just saying, okay, now I remember how to get out of this because my muscle memory has done it. And it takes over 10 years to even think about becoming a black belt. Mm -hmm. And it isn't based on how much you paid or how long you've been there. It's about the work you put in. And it's humbled me in a way that I can't even explain and empowered me, which is amazing. Like I think now at 42 years old with 18 years on the job, I could handle a use of force incident hands-on better than I ever would throughout the rest of my career. What was the second part of your question? If you... If you lose sight of your goals, how do you get that sight back? I think you got to recognize why you lost sight of it first, right? Was it a certain person in your life that put you off track? Was it something that happened to you that, that changed your perspective? Or was there a lot of noise that was just going on that made you feel like it's not important? A lot of things, a lot of goals that we have, we worry about what other people think while we're trying to achieve them. You got to realize whether it's something you really want, then you got to just continue to go for it. I often tell people because first of all, if you think life is unfair. Police work is 10 times more unfair than life. You'll have to learn that when you get to there, if you're listening and you're trying to get to become a cop, it is one of those things where you literally can't wrap your head around why this doesn't make any sense. And this is the circumstances. Like this makes zero fucking sense. What I'm going to pass on to people, which I pass on in class is this. You are only in control of so many variables in your life. And by the way, don't discount how many variables you're in control of. You can't depend on serendipity. I thought about it on the way in. You can't depend on serendipity. You've got to take action. Sometimes massive action, sometimes some action. But if you are trying to have a change in your life, there's not going to be this serendipitous moment. Now, serendipity comes along when you take action. So serendipity means some circumstances are lined up and you met the person, you know, getting a hot dog, you met the love of your life, something like that. That's serendipity. You just happen to be there while she was there or he was there. But there's a lot of action to get to serendipity. So you can't sit around and wait for things to happen to you. But you also have to recognize that there are things you're not in control of. One of my best pieces of advice that I give people, and I think it helps them tremendously because I get a lot of feedback on it, is do you at the end of your day say to yourself in the mirror or on your way home from work or on your way to work, I'm going to do or I did the best I could do today with what I had to work with. You don't need to have a canine to have a good day at work. You don't need to have a helicopter to have a good day at work. You didn't need to have a, a, a patrol rifle to have a good day at work. All these things are significantly important for every police officer to have disposal and ability to get their hands on things like these. But 
those are some variables that you can't control. You don't have the money to buy a helicopter. Your agency might not have the money to get a dog. You might have an administrator who doesn't like dogs because they look intimidating, whatever it may be. So some big things that people can, can live with is releasing the things that you cannot control. You're gonna see in your life, why did John get the canine? Why did Susan get picked to be the officer of the year? It doesn't make any sense. Why is this person getting the position that I wanted? How come he or she's getting promoted when everybody clearly knows that I should be the next sergeant or lieutenant or captain or chief? This is gonna be a real reality of this profession and this career. But once you start to release that stuff and acknowledge that there's things that you can't control in this profession and just work with what you've got, it's a big release, dude. Yeah, yeah everybody's chasing these carrots around. And I tell people like, look, it's, a, it's admirable to want to progress and grow and all those things. But if the carrots are tools to control or they seem unrealistic, sometimes you just wait and believe it or not, the carrots come to you. It's very strange. But as long as you're doing that other good work. Yeah. I know it's kind of contradictory what I said about the serendipity of it, but chasing carrots isn't always the best way to do things. Sometimes if you don't like how the carrots taste, where you're sitting in the farm that you're at, maybe it's time to find a new farm. And maybe the carrots are just more plentiful and fruitful. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. You all should be very weary of somebody who says the grass isn't always greener. This is usually said or stated by people who stand in mud who don't want you to leave. This follows very closely with misery loves company. Don't let other people dictate what you're going to do and what your life's about. This is your life. You get one fucking shot at it. The last thing you wanna be doing is laying on your deathbed saying, I wish I would've, I should have done this. And taking those leaps of faith are the best things you could ever do in your life. I don't even think you should play what's the worst that could happen. The worst that could happen is not taking a leap of faith. That's the worst that could happen. You've already made the decision. So you're living what's the worst that could happen. That helps a lot of people make decisions in their life. And I wouldn't say these things if I didn't get that feedback continuously through social media networks of, I needed to hear that. That was the push that got me to do this thing. That was the push that got me to realize. And earlier you said discipline. I thought about this this weekend because if you don't know, I have extreme ADHD. Discipline equals success. That is just the answer. Yeah. There is no other answer. Nope then discipline equals success. Motivation get you started, right? Motivation only takes you How about the discipline to get motivated, right? Have the discipline to say, you know what? I know that guy told me that that book exists and it'd be good for me. It's a motivation book. It's that discipline to say, yeah, I'm gonna hit play on the audio book. I'm gonna pick up the book and start to read it. That's the discipline. The discipline to say, maybe this feels good in the moment, but I know this will be better in the long run. Yeah, That's discipline. What is your personal discipline and how much discipline do you have? Because if you would like your life to improve or get better, no matter what it may be, you will need to employ discipline. That's the truth. Yeah, and just, I'm, I'm gonna go at you with something real quick, because mm -hmm. you said the whole grass isn't always greener on the other side. I actually say that a lot. I say the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's green where you water it, but that might be either side, right? So you've got a lot of people, I hate to say a lot of people, I don't wanna generalize, but you've got people that are very miserable where they're at, but they're doing nothing to make it better either. Right. right. So again, you may have really great opportunities, but you've fallen in with the wrong people who have strayed you from your goals. So, and here's the one thing, I'm actually gonna give you props because I will remember this forever. When marijuana got decriminalized, your phone, I'm sure, blew up, right? Everybody's like, how am I gonna be a cop? How am I gonna do my job? And you had the best answer. You were like, you're a cop, find a way to do it. There are other ways to do your job. Well, there's other, there's other things that are illegal, right? Uh, 100%. Cocaine, kidnapping. Like important stuff. Homicide. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I told people 10 years ago when I started teaching, folks, you can't be a one trick pony and depend on yes. the odor of marijuana to try to be able to figure out if there's something illegal in the car. I've even had a lieutenant one time, I called him, I go, I need a dog. He goes, what, what, what do you got? I said. Delta, I just need a dog. How many years I'm doing? He goes, what does the car smell like weed? I go, if the car smelled like weed, why would I need a dog? Why in your mind, I came back and he's like, he's like, look at me, I go, why do you in your mind associate the odor of marijuana being the only gateway into there's a crime present? You have got to expand. He would, listen, this is a guy who loved it, loved the work. Yeah. He had, he was overall really good. 
used to complain to me like, why don't people do more work like you? And he wasn't like a nut, like, yeah, 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 get it. He's like, we used to be like you. We used to go out and have competitions on who would get the better lockup. And, yeah. you know, so anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, it's fine. No, I was just saying, you know, you put that out there and how much of a life lesson is that for everybody, right? If you, and I think it tells a lot about police culture when you're like, I've only been taught this one way of doing things and I haven't been given the tools to do anything. Well, go out and get your own tools, right? You show up with an empty toolbox, put your own tools in there, get the training. If someone isn't giving you the training, go out and get the training. If you're simple example, right? You, you said with that, you know, find another way to do it. Oh, I don't have the order of marijuana or I do have the order of marijuana. Now I don't have right to search a car. Well, you know how many people I've trained that have seen pill bottles right in the center console and never had the gumption or the discipline or even just the wherewithal to say, Hey, whose prescription is that? Is your name on that bottle? What is it? And then if it ends up being like an opioid, just ask them, like, when was the last time you took it? Like, there are so many little steps you can go forward. And I don't think we allow officers to feel comfortable enough asking the questions or even knowing what the questions are. And it isn't that the same thing in your own life, especially when it comes to goals, right? Like, if you aren't around people that are challenging you to be better, you may never know that you have the opportunity to be better. And for the people you talked about before with the equity and the expectancy issues, like if you just expect something to be given to you all the time without putting in the work, independent of what you might get from it, then you're, you don't even have an opportunity. You know, I, 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 I chuckle and I don't take offense to it, but people say to me, namely when we have parties at my house, oh, this is great. What a place, what a place. You guys are so lucky. And I chuckle because I know it comes from a good place, but I know that there has been maybe a little bit of luck involved in some sense. And I can elaborate, but I'm going to digress at the moment. But there hasn't been. There has been nonstop discipline. And what's interesting is I will say this publicly and I'll stick to it because this will explain why I do what I do. The state of police work that exists now in this country and nationally is all chalked up to one overall problem. And if you really think about this, really, it's the complete failure of training, the complete failure. It has been a complete failure. And we're lucky enough here and there to get dabbles of some decent shit that actually gives some good answers. The amount of misinformation, misunderstanding, horrible across the board, opinionated, uh, lack of factual data taught by unqualified people in this profession, a profession which one is under the microscope of society, but two is one of the very few professions in the world that if you are not able or know how to do this job, it will cost people their lives. Yeah. And other people can quantify the significance of what we're doing to society or the service we give to society because of the lack of the quality of training. And the crazy thing is the people who are complaining that we're not trained are doing everything they can to shut training down. That's real. That's actually happening right now. It, it is wild. And I thought to myself on the way here, I will continue to show up and just keep charging forward, doing what I'm supposed to be doing, knowing that I can help. Just want everybody to know that police officers are so, so interesting as human beings, because even though they're served this inevitable failure, it's inevitable. You're inevitable failure. I can explain it. You get shitty pre-academy. Everybody before you go to the academy tells you, you go to the academy for five, six months, you're gonna learn absolutely nothing. Don't worry, when you come out, you'll learn the streets here. What are we gonna do for you? We're gonna give you a 28-year veteran patrolman who's completely out of shape, clueless, but writes a half-decent report and knows how to respond to calls on day shift. He'll show you how to take a bumper-to-bumper -bumper crash, turn it into three and a half hours. That usually takes 25 minutes for a proficient police officer. Hey, they'll do prisoner transports. You know, you'll do stupid shit like that. Then we'll send you out into the field with now literally no training, a police car, and having to make decisions on your own with having nobody giving you guidance on how to do those things. And uh, you know what? If you want to see how to do police work, watch live PD or watch episodes of Cops where people like myself and other trainers here makes our fucking skin crawl uh, because... We know what they're trying to do. I'm not discounting the efforts of the men and women in law enforcement who are on live PD. And often when they're in my class, they're like, oh, fuck. Is there a video of me up there? There's noble efforts. I know what you're trying to do. But to watch it and know better 
it is very disturbing. So I always tell people when you're watching live PD, it sounds typical of what is considered to be taboo, but watch it with the intention of trying to figure out everything they did wrong. Just try to figure that out. If you do that, you can say, I would have never done that. That's fucking crazy. But you need some kind of chart to hold it to. So you need to get some good training. And that's why I run a training company. But I also want to say this. There are wonderful people that we line align ourselves with from other companies that we have no interest in accumulating or um, or overtaking their company. We just believe that they are on the right track. And I'll give you one name. It's Adam Hadari. Uh, he runs Police Post and then... I hope I don't fuck this up because I get all these fitness ones, but I believe it's, uh, I want to say it's effective fitness. I could be wrong, but I tell people, and I like Adam tremendously. He's on the podcast. Uh, I really am fond of him. I admire him because I know that he's dangerous and he's a dude who is on it. He can fix it. He is fixing it. He is taking market share, which I'm pleased that he is. There are many people in the police training profession that are phenomenal. But on the other side of things, you've gotta be able to discern, is it one of these people or is it one of these people who are posers? It is not about you showing up telling us who you are or what you think's important. Understanding what they need to hear is important, making sure you're aligning with the thoughts and minds and souls of those who are sitting in your program and then giving a good communication of how to give them the knowledge they, they so seek. Did we get to the point of what we were trying to talk to today? <laughs> and did you think I mean, that you suffer from attention deficit disorder as well? No. Oh, I do. No. I'm off in la la land. I think I just have so much going on all the time that my mind goes eight million different places. I do have to sit here and really focus on what you're saying and also try to remember what I want to say in response to you. I have to make sure I don't lose track of where I'm at because I have these thoughts and they're gone. And I'm like, God damn it. I had such a good fucking thought. Yeah. Because I need to be a deep thinker and get my thoughts. And I'm always like, man, as I'm getting interviewed, this thing gets bigger and bigger. I hope I say the right thing, the things that I actually mean. Yeah. And I'm putting a lot more thought into how I communicate with the intention of not overdoing it and maybe losing it. I want to be able to find this balance of it's great and everybody, as many people as I can get into it can get it. Because I'd hate to, like there's, there's agencies that are like, he curses, he can't go to his training. Could you imagine? Yeah. There are agencies literally say that, well, he curses in his training. We can't have that there. I'm sorry. You're, you're gonna go to rapes, murders, deaths, yeah. uh, fight people, people are gonna spit on you, and you can't go to a training course where the attention may be hung on the variable of how entertaining it may be. I don't know. I went to the academy three times as a recruit. Every time we had an instructor who cursed, I was like, this guy's great, or this girl's great, yeah. <laughs> because it was just a relief from the fucking prosecutor that showed up, it was like, open your book to chat page 73. Everybody has the little black 2C book, the little black 2C yeah. book, right? The fucking worst thing in the world. Everybody got the 2C book, you can open it up to page 73. We're gonna talk today about corruption. Um, excuse me, what's the statute of limitations on corruptions? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> uh, 2C112A, what does this mean? Excuse me, sir. Uh, what if we find mar I never get this question. I asked somebody in class. Assistant prosecutor comes to the class due to training. I said, what does the law say if we find marijuana but don't want to prosecute? Can we just take the weed? Because when I worked as a cop in DC, you could take and not prosecute. I've been advocating this for years. Um, the ability to just put in for destruction. So we would, it's Washington, DC. They don't want to hear nothing about a crack rock. Right, as crazy as it sounds, they don't give a shit. They got bigger fish to fry, two, three homicides a day. Yeah. They're not worried about tying cops up with a crack rock. So you could take essentially a crack rock for somebody and we call it, give me a time and number, a time and alarm, whatever you wanted to call it, the number, you reference your CAD number. Narcotics crack, no arrest. That was lawful. That was lawful. So I remember saying this to him, like, how does that work in Jersey? And he's like, I don't understand. I'm like, okay, let me try to paint. I'm a recruit like in the audience in this fucking thing. And I go, let me try to paint a picture for you. I stop a car, I find a dime bag of weed on somebody. I don't wanna fucking arrest somebody for a gram of weed. The fuck do I, you know, what are we doing with it then? And I'll never forget this guy's like, I don't understand, what do you mean? And I'm like, in my mind, the significance of marijuana and a gram of it, comparable to what I could probably find on the streets, is a waste of time. Can we throw it out or put it in for destruction? He's like, I cannot understand what you're trying. This guy could not have a concept. Mm. What the answer should have been was, 
No, we have an attorney general guideline that, and I can't think of the top of my head, but it basically says you must prosecute. Weed and seeds, one of them. I know there's one of the AG guidelines. You must prosecute for this. It's just so comical. Like They're like, oh, police are arresting all these people for minor offenses. Well, give us the ability not to, right? The only other subsection of that attorney general guideline says, and I don't know if it's changed since I haven't read them in a while, um, you are allowed to not take law enforcement action if it creates a public danger or thwarts or disrupts a ongoing investigation. So I had somebody call me one time, they're like, hey, they're looking at me. It was the busiest night Friday we ever had. We had this guy like a half ounce of weed on him. We took it, we wrote the report, we put it in, we didn't prosecute, we didn't lock him up. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So tell me about what Friday night looked like. Well, we had one guy in a hospital on fucking suicide watch. We just had a fucking murder, uh, you know, a motor vehicle crash with a death. We had this, we were calling people in for overtime. I said, yeah, I, I would say that that fits the criteria for not making prosecution on the narcotics in that circumstance. Well, they're doing an internal. I go, well, that's, that's cool, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm glad that your agency has no idea what the attorney general guideline says. And that's the stuff that drives me wild. Like, look, just follow the fucking rules, right? Just don't make up your rules as they go. Here are the rules, follow them. You can't be in internal affairs and just make up your own decision or feeling on Fourth Amendment issues or Article One, Paragraph 7 on the state of New Jersey under search and seizure. Like, please, just follow the, we'll follow the rules. Just follow the motherfucking rules. Anyway. Rant's over. What do you want to finish with? <laughs> I guess, you know, we were talking about the complete female cop and what, you know, the, the differences between a, being a male cop. And it just, I think I just want women in law enforcement to know that you could be the cop that you want to be, right? Every, and everybody has their place. I know, I know this company is very much about, you know, the street cop, right? And proactive patrol and things, but- I think know, it's about a lot of things. I, yeah. When I picked, chose the name street cop, I wanted something you put on t-shirts. Yeah. It was a branding play. I didn't want to call it like, Screaming Eagle law enforcement <laughs> training, right? Like, yeah. you know, like F-16 jets for, like, you know, I wanted it to be something very universal because I always thought we would encompass all facets. So I don't people get confused. The company was built on proactivity. You know, and, and when we say proactivity, like if you don't know how to be proactive, you don't know how to be reactive. That's the fucking bottom line. Yeah. You, don't, you can't just be reactive and not know how to be proactive. It doesn't work. But like everybody has their yeah. place, right? And everybody has their role. And if you're not happy with your role, then change it. I just, I hate hearing, oh, they don't have a female on the, their SWAT team. Uh, they should they should pick me, I'm the best for the job. I go, well, are you the best for the job because you're the best for the job or you think you're the best female for the job, right? What are you doing to be the best for that position? If that's what you want, then take the steps to change it. If you want to be the school resource officer, be the school resource officer, just be the best you can be. If you want to be left alone and you just want to handle like traffic crashes and you want to pull, do that, do it. You know what I mean? And I'll love you where you're at, but don't expect to come. And I think I've had this conversation with Rizzo all the time. Uh, just, you know, there are people that want to be really, really proactive and get the guns and the drugs and they love. And then there are some people that want nothing to do with motor vehicle stops. They're uncomfortable talking to people. They don't like having to have people mad at them because they're writing a summons or doing what they're doing. And it, you know, it's part of the job. It is what it is. So if you're not comfortable doing something, get better at it. Mm. Practice. You have to. for it. Like yeah. I, hate, I hate everybody's like, oh, I don't want to pay for you just had this come up on the Facebook too. Like, yeah, yeah, why yeah. are your classes so your answer was so beautiful? Because even That's only 10% here, of I'm my like, answer, yeah. I'm like, who's gonna want to pay that much money to see me speak? Like, I don't feel like, you know? And really it is like if people understood how much time and energy goes into giving so much of myself to make that a day worthy of their time, they would understand, you know, and write it off on your fucking taxes. You know what I mean? It's an educational expense, whatever, like find a way, but it's going to pay off in other ways, you know? Yeah. You know, there's, there's always a theory in the world of business because it's where I really, in my personal time, live in the world of business. I am not constantly like polishing handcuffs and fucking do it. Like it's not, yeah. I am a businessman. Um, I have a purpose. I know what I can take from the business world and implement it into the law enforcement world to make things better for everybody. But the number one theme that you'll hear from everybody who's successful is invest in yourself. It's the best investment possible. And I'm sure it sounds kind of like it's beneficial for us to say this, but come to class and tell me I'm fucking wrong. Come to any program that we have and tell me I'm, it wasn't worth your time, energy, and effort and your, and your resources. I do this comfortably. I take your money comfortably because I know that what you're getting in return, you're gonna figure out was a screaming bargain. But again, contrary to how people think and they're just not giving perspective. 
You go to college for seventy dollars to $120,000. I'll debate this anytime with anybody. I am pro-education. College is a fucking scam. It's the biggest scam in the country. Education is not. You don't need human psychology to be a veterinarian. You know what I mean? Like, And people will say things like, oh, but it gives you perspective to be worldly. Like you can think about things. It makes you think. Like, so does fucking YouTube, right? You can go on YouTube <laughs> and watch it for, I bet you could watch three, pick a profession you want to get good at, go on YouTube, spend three weeks, and I can show you somebody who's better in three weeks than somebody who's been at college for four years learning the same profession. And then being a practitioner in the field. So if you wanna be a welder, your best thing to do is to start welding. You wanna be a basketball player, the best thing for you to do is to grab a basketball and start shooting free throws. I think you should take some downtime and study how to improve your craft. I watched a TED talk today on how to become good at anything in 20 hours. Hmm. Right, so how committed are you, you know? Yeah. Uh, but people want to listen to their parents who, I don't even want to go there. I mean, it, but the law of averages, if 95% of this world is absolutely just clueless, most of your parents fall into that category. It doesn't mean they don't love you. They just don't know any better. Right. People here will say, well, my parents this. I go, if your parents are giving you, my mother said I should invest in this. If your parents are not rich, why are you listening to them about money? Good news. You can go on YouTube and listen to very rich people tell you about what to do with your money. I think you should listen to them. Like Warren Buffett probably knows more about finances than my electrician father who lives in a 2,000 square foot house, Yeah, right? That's just me. But people will spend this money on essentially something that they can't use for the most part, yet will forego spending. I always tell people, spend $1,000 at this company of a different career. 1,000 bucks. 1,000 bucks at this company of a different career. Or you can sit and try to continue to try to figure it out. Yeah, I, I live by it. I've spent $10,000 on seminars, $3,000, $4,000 tickets, $600 tickets, $700 tickets. Yeah. I have them. I kept all the things. All the past, I've gone traveling, flying, right? Sometimes I go there and I'm like, this fucking sucks. But on day three, hour four, I was like, wow, what a fucking unlock. All right, I got to stop ranting. Plus, I got shit. There were a lot of rants today. Fuck, dude. All right. <laughs> we'll, we'll do more of this, the female street cup when we come back the next time. Yeah, we're not. You triggered Whatever. me. See that? That's I'm your so, fucking I, fault. Are you allowed to be triggered? Oh, I wanted That's to be a good. You to, thing. I wanted to be good today. I don't know if I was good today. You think I was good today, Frank? This is a good episode. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was great. Yeah, Heather's Heather's good. I was like, man, Heather should just co-host this motherfucker with me. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. I can do that yeah. for you. Yeah. Guys are great together. You know why? Because your voice is not as deep as Rizzo's. I love Rizzo's voice. Uh, oh like, wow! I um, have this. Ray Romano, Kermit the Frog thing going. You say that all the time. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I, somebody, a girl I, I haven't seen yeah, years. Yeah. It's the yeah, yeah that you do. A girl, Am I wrong? A girl yeah, I've been yeah. seeing years and years and years ago told me that. And I was like, and I listened to it. I'm like, I actually fucking hear that. I can hear that in my voice. I don't, hear I don't, feel, I don't hear Kermit. I hear a little Kermit Ray Romano. Do you hear <laughs> Yeah, when you do that, it sounds yeah, yeah. like Kermit. Yeah, all right. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Check out streetcop.com for Heather's classes. They're coming up. When's your next class? Uh, I have a couple that are being booked, and then I have one in December in North Carolina and another one in October in Ye Jersey here. Yeehaw. Woo-hoo. I can't <laughs> wait. Right. I'm teaching in Vegas in August. There you go. Uh, of 2022. Don't miss that class if you're in the Nevada or close to Vegas, even within a couple-hour drive. Yeah. Uh, but I'll be staying in Vegas. Good for you. Uh, for a couple extra days. I like Vegas. Yeah. All right, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Hey, guys, don't forget, April 23rd through the 28th, 2023, we'll be in Nashville, Tennessee for the second Street Cop Training Conference. You do not want to miss out on that. So far, we have some real big headliners on there. It'll be five days of transforming training in Nashville, Tennessee.